it's chick season. What does this mean? This means that we get to incorporate any type of poultry we want onto the property. This covers chicks, turkey poults, ducklings, guinea keets, and even little goslings. In this episode, we're going to talk about all things poultry. We're going to talk about breed selection. Is your property appropriate size to bring in whatever you want? Does breed selection matter based on your location? We're also going to discuss heritage breeds and broiler breeds. We're going to talk a little bit about hatching eggs and how to ship them. Then on top of that, we're going to talk about where the best place to get poultry is. Is it your feed store, your neighbor, even a hatchery? Stay tuned. Everything about poultry is going to be in this episode. guys, welcome back to episode five of A Simple Homesteading Life. I'm Anne, and as you know, today I'm going to have a special guest on, and we're going to be talking to Tom of McMurray Hatchery. He is the vice president of the organization, and I had the pleasure of meeting him at the Homestead of America conference in 2019. We talked a little bit about, you know, what's happening in the chicken world and, and whether or not backyard chicken keeping was a big thing that's popping up right now. And unfortunately, because of COVID-19, we are currently sitting heavy on um, lots of individuals seeking poultry to start raising, and which is a good thing, which is a great thing. But we want to talk a little bit more about the homesteading movement of the whole chicken keeping aspect, as well as some backyard chicken keeping because I know some of you guys do raise chickens in an urban setting. I'm just going to go ahead and we're just going to jump right in. This is a great opportunity and if you guys have any additional questions, this will be transferred over to a blog as well too. Leave your comments there and I can forward them on to Tom or I'm sure that you can reach Tom and his team personally via their email on their website. Let's get started episode four, selecting a hatchery that's going to best fit your needs. Okay, I have Tom with me. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing exceptionally well. Okay. And where are you located at, Tom? <laughs> we're in, in Webster City, Iowa. So we're really right in the, the heartland. So you are, um, if, I, if I get my demographics correct, talking to Ginger, who is basically your social media individual there, you are like, the hatchery is in your town, correct? Or, or the surrounding town or whatnot? Yeah. So, well, it's, it's, yes, it is not directly in town anymore. It is, we're, we're just on the edge of town, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow, wow, wow. Okay, that's cool. So you basically, can I say you live the hatchery almost since it's so relatively close to where you're at? I'm, yeah, uh, my wife says I live here. <laughs> Sometimes so. that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So Tom, um, like I said, we met, met at the HOA and you actually were um, there representing your brand, which is the very hatchery, and you were actually doing a lot of educating. And you know, the homesteading movement is pretty, pretty big. I think that when we as homesteaders go to select, you know, someplace that's going to support the needs of what we have, which is chicken keeping, you know, whether it's for egg production or meat production, we seek someone who has knowledge in that. We just don't randomly pick hatcheries. We want someone with a little bit of information. So can you give me a little bit of history about what McMurray, how they started? And I, I think that people are going to be shocked to know how old they really are. Yeah. Um, so that 
you kind of hit the nail on the head there. So McMurray Hatchery started in 1917 by Murray McMurray. He was about 28 years old and he'd shown birds and raised birds through his childhood and up. And really he got into hatching and incubating and then shipping chicks locally because of the, the information, the knowledge that he had. He was he was a resource for people and he was willing to share. At those times, you know, producing a better layer was really important. That was people's livelihoods. I mean, that was, yeah. that was how they fed, you know, not just their family, but that was, you know, egg money was grocery money. Right, right. Yeah. And so in 1917, he bought his first incubator and he was working as a teller in the bank and he was actually selling the chicks out of the back of the bank. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, so that was 1917. That was 103 years ago. So we, I mean, there's a ton of uh, history there. And basically he worked through the bank through then the 19... 26 during the great depression the the bank closed he went home and told his kids and wife so we're gonna we're gonna make a living out of the hatchery we're gonna we're gonna you know go full-time into just hatching chicken so in 1926 he dedicated more time he had 50 individual lines of or breeds of chickens and were they he, more like sustainable purpose at that point from what the history books of the oh yeah. hatchery say uh, okay. you know the you know the, the american poultry association is is even older than we are uh, i mean they've had standard breed chickens for hundreds of years and so there's a you know there's a very drawn line you know the Rhode Island Red is from the 1800s you know the barred Plymouth Rock is from you know the 1800s you know there's a lot of really old chicken breeds and they were you know they were selected for egg producing or you know a dual purpose for a homestead you know obviously things are different in the 2000s and they were in the night early 1900s right and what you expect but you know a dual purpose breed fed your family you know you had eggs or mm -hmm. meat right and so yeah um it went from from murray to his son john and charles took over in the 50s when murray passed away and then charles's son murray mcmurray the second not he wasn't the second but he was you know the grandson of the original murray mcmurray him and his partner mike lubbers took over in 1990 i mean obviously you're skipping decades right. generations right. and so yeah um 1990 we built a new hatchery the, um, in 19 I think it was 1928 they bought a house in town on Ohio Street and that was the hatchery for from 1928 until 1991 one, wow. one house in the wow. middle of town so we, they hatched millions of chickens <laughs> over Oh. 80 years and so yeah and we they bid build this building at the edge of town currently and we're still right by the super eight so <laughs> that is incredible so basically the hatchery is truly right in town yeah, so yeah. it's been a part of this community oh yeah oh my oh, gosh yeah. for that long that's incredible that is absolutely incredible so let me let me just ask you a real quick question here interrupting what you're saying is is that so this this has stayed a family business until what year? What year did the McMurray family finally sell into? But but there's a story behind it because I think yes. I know a little bit of a story behind it. But correct me if I'm wrong, okay? So basically, McMurray did sell finally, yes. but they sold to an individual who had been very very close to the family, yes. who actually went forward and continued what the family had set in motion. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, is that, absolutely, is that, okay. absolutely. Well, in 1987, Bud Wood started working for the hatchery and computerizing things. So he, uh, he had the local computer shop in town. That's, that's my father-in-law. And so in 1987, they computerized the hatchery. And then in... Oh, see, I didn't know that that was your father-in-law. Yeah. I uh, didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, that was even before Murray, uh, the grandson took over. 
so that was uh, John and Charles still. And so Murray and his uh, longtime family friend, Mike Lubbers, took over in the 1990. And 98, Bud Wood became a partner of that. So Murray and Mike finally retired in 2012, um, and Bud became the sole owner. In 2013, my father-in-law and invited us over to help manage this. Uh, yeah, uh, my wife and I are current are current co-owners. So this is what I love about it. And I think that this is what the community, uh, you know, how we react as a homesteading community is, is the longevity of an organization is very key to who we are as a, a lifestyle, right? Yeah. So knowing a history behind something, I mean, myself as a homesteader, and I know that I, I've got fellow individuals who actually believe in something very similar is the longevity of it. So it's gone basically from one family into the hands of another family who grew yep. up through the process of it all. And I, I think that that's pretty amazing because before I even knew you, I was, I didn't know anything about your history until <laughs> I met you. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's history behind here. And then when I started digging a little bit deeper, I was thoroughly impressed to understand that longevity of a, of a community that's home base is more important to me as a homesteader than just picking a hatchery because they're going to ship me five less birds or or whatever the case is i would yeah. rather work with that type of business so yay i'm really i love that <laughs> i love that history so so when you and i first met right i again i didn't know anything about the, the hatchery itself what did you what would you think that the hatchery at that this point in time well let's just talk about today in this point in time what do you think the hatchery actually specializes in? That, uh, you know, being, having the history that we have, I think it's important to point out that things have really changed. You know, the needs of people in the 20s are not the needs of people in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, you know, and so on. And the needs of people 10 years ago are not the same needs that people have now. The thing that hasn't changed is, is I don't want to say educating, but but helping people find the resources that they need in order to be successful. Absolutely. You know, the homesteader movement's really big right now. Ten years ago, it wasn't. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if it was ten years ago, I'd say, you know, we're we're one of the best backyard flock owners. You know, we're we're going to help. You know, small people are conservation breeders. If you want to save rare and exotic breeds, like that's you know, a benefit to what we have and, you know, as far as our birds and how we take care of them. You know, now, you know, I think this, this movement really picked up and that's something really near and dear to my heart. I, we're really focusing a lot of time there, you know, and with that, you know, and as Murray did, and that's how he became uh, really popular, was he, he spent the time to help educate people, you know, to give them resources in order to do the best that they could do, you know, and not just giving you, you know, hey, here's a bird, like, Right. Here's a bird. Right. And like, right. how can we help? Like, or what? Absolutely. You know, what do you need? So let me let me just recap real quick. Then. <laughs> okay. So let me just let me just give it a quick recap in all this time. So long way around. So there. long way around. But what, let's let's reel it back in real quick. So basically, what I what I heard on this whole thing, and I have been on your website, and I have really looked through your website quite a bit, is, is that you not only touch on the homesteading aspect, which the movement, like you said, is huge right now. And then, you know, again, I'm going to refer back to COVID-19, you know, the coronavirus is, is that yeah. I think people are seeing a, a great grasp on how important it is to own your feed source, whether or not you're homesteading, farming, or in the suburbs. And I yeah. think that, um, that, I think that's great. But on top of that, you specialize not only in backyard chicken keeping, but homesteading needs, but you also specialize in specialty breeds as well, too. 
Yes. Now, my friend Jake from White House on the Hill, <laughs> <laughs> he has a couple of your specialty breeds in there because he loves the exotic birds oh, yeah. and he loves them. And if you guys, I'll just plug Jake real quick because Jake is part of the HOA, Home Centers of America team as well too. Check out his um, Instagram account. You will see some of his great birds on his Instagram account because he does love the exotic birds. So th so that's what I liked about McMurray as well, too, when I really combed through your website was that you offer something to just about everybody. So that's awesome. So just a quick rundown. Can you tell everybody what breed species that you actually raise on there? I, I focus on all of the chicken breeds, and we have currently 114 breeds in our barns of chickens. Wow, so, I know that. <laughs> um, and then we also have, you know, ducks and geese. There's 20 breeds of ducks and geese. Pheasants, there's rare and exotic pheasants, not just your typical Chinese pheasants that you'd see in the wild. Turkeys, turkeys are one thing I'm really passionate about too. And what I what I like and really what I focus on are the heritage breeds. You touched my heart. Keep oh, talking. Well, that's, Keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it, we, well, maybe we'll cover this too, but you know, that is where I think future of poultry is going to go back to Absolutely. That's where it was 50 years ago. Yes. And I, I honestly feel like that is where we're, we're heading back towards slowly. Yeah. Yep. Economics of scale is, is one thing, but we're, we're pushing for a more diverse things. And that includes birds as well. So you touched on heritage breeds real quick and you, I, I, and my followers know, I am a big, big advocate for heritage breeds, huge yeah. advocate. I think our conversation was I raised Delaware and I think this is how you and I connected I was like I was like so and I'm here I'm, you have to understand my conversation with Tom was I was kind of testing him when I first met him to see if he was just the typical hatchery because if that were the case I would just have kind of moved on so when I was like so um, I'm a great component on um, heritage breed and um, I raised Delaware for meat purposes as well as Cornish crosses and then he goes well and he goes I have a Delaware in pants and I was like what <laughs> I was like, what is that? What? You need to talk to me about the Delaware and yeah. So when Tom, when I realized Tom knew his stuff on Heritage Breeds, <laughs> I kind of just stopped and I was like, okay, this is a company that I need to learn a little bit more about. So Heritage Breeds are great. I raise, I will tell you what I raise. I currently raise uh, Blue Slate, a Heritage Blue Slate. Yeah. They've been on my property for going on five years this year. On top of that, I do have my Delaware team, which I am currently probably going to phase out because I did bring in the Delaware and yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about that breed in a little bit. So I do have the Delaware Enhanced coming in. We raised Heritage Rabbits. I raised the Harlequins and the, uh, the American Chinchillas. And, you know, it's just one of those things that I made sure that my property was sustainable if for some reason something should happen. And I love the fact that McMurray Hatchery is sharing this information because I think it is important. I think you are right. You know, we're homestead. You know what I mean? We've, we've come to realize with this situation in our community right now with COVID-19 that uh, Cornish crosses, once they're done, they're done. I missed the boat on my second batch because my feature was supposed to order them for me and they canceled my order. So now I have to rely on a heritage breed to finish filling my freezer. <laughs> so yes, I, I really, really enjoy that. And I really appreciate that for McMurray. And I'm really thankful that you guys are focusing on the heritage breeds and willing to educate people on why they are a necessity. They are absolutely, you know, that's, you know, they, they grew up in a, you know, in a region, you know, every 
breed is named after the region that they originate. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't even take basic geography to figure out like, mm -hmm. you know, where these breeds are from. You know, Crevacores are French, Delawares are from Delaware. You know, there's mm -hmm. Rhode Island Reds, there's New Hampshire's, there's- uh, The Icelandic, right? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. So, so like they, they, they were specialized to a purpose. They, they did well in certain regions. And, and that was, you, you can't make that up in a hybrid chicken. Like, you know, everything, you can do everything right. But if the weather goes wrong and you have something that doesn't yeah. work for you, then, then you, you're out. And I think one of my biggest questions on the website is I'm dealing with frostbite <laughs> on my leghorn living yeah. on the border of Canada. Yeah. And, you know, my question is, oh, really? Why, why do you have leghorns on the border of Canada? You know, yeah. you know, like you nailed it. Species specific based on location is the key to longevity and raising good livestock and providing great animal husbandry. Yeah. And I think I that's mean, important. I agree. You can you can raise anything almost anywhere, but it is going to be more labor intensive for you to do right. so. It's going to take more resources to raise a leghorn there than you would, you know, Icelandic or Wyandots without any combs. Like they're, they're right. perfectly suited for those areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I liked about that's what I liked about knowing that McMurray would be very specific in saying, you know, here, yeah, you buy whatever you want, but let 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 me tell you where these breeds really fit into place. So I I really really admired that. So real quick, I I, I watched <laughs> I watched a video of you doing a live stream. I don't know where it came from, but I was doing a little bit of history <laughs> on you, and you were talking about your favorite chicken breeds, and you were just listing them all off, oh, and know. you know why and whatnot. I don't know where I saw that at. It was kind of funny. Off the top of your head, pick one chicken breed that you absolutely adore, and then one duck breed, and then one geese breed, because realistically, those are the breeds that homesteaders are actually yeah, making, and yep. geese is actually making a strong comeback right now in the homesteading community. I love having geese. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I live in town, you know, you, my favorite breeds that, that changes like a little bit, you know, all, all time favorite breeds. And you can almost, I can take that back because I've raised every one of them, you know, and, and some certain characters in a breed, you know, one bird really, you know, enamors you. Right. <laughs> it's like, I've got the nicest black Langshan rooster. It is absolutely Aww gorgeous and so it's like i love black lanchions but economically not you know the greatest layer you know it's not all that mm -hmm. so i don't you know it changes like i go back and forth depends on how many eggs i have in my shelf like right <laughs> if a lot of eggs i'm really cussing that lanchions you know like but if i got no. lots of eggs i don't care as much so right no and so i think that that i think you really nailed it and i, I think that was kind of like a catch kind of question for you is is that you when you said depends on what you're needing right in that moment in time right so if yeah, I have yeah. an egg selling business, like my daughter owns our egg selling business, and that's how she makes her money. We bring in breeds that are specific for two yeah. purposes. One is I need a sustainable bird to hatch because I hate incubating. We're on incubating right now. I want a broody to hatch. And the other point of it is it's egg production because yes. she can sell yep. up to 10 to 15 dozen eggs a week if we kept the business going heavy on that. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, and then we make that same decision for ducks as well too. I bring in, I'm, I currently am raising harlequins, Welsh harlequins, oh, um, the duck breed. Love them. However, when we decided that we were going to raise ducks, for meat purposes, they weren't substantial enough for what I was getting from the ducks. Yeah. So oh. what I brought in instead was the McMurray Apple Yard. I now have Apple Yards coming in. Uh, nice. Actually, they're sitting out in the brooder right now, <laughs> and um, they're sitting out there. And I brought in a whole team of Apple Yards to replace my current team of Harlequins. 
because they are a little bit more meat productive in a yeah. sense while yeah. being good layers. So that made me really happy. Um, the other thing that I did bring in from you guys, and tell me if I'm saying this right, the Toulouse. Yep. To, to, yeah. Yep. Yep. I brought them in for the first time right, against right. Justin's best wishes <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted geese and because I do have guineas, but I needed something additional because we homestead on two acres, but it is tiered. So I needed something to remain on the lower lot while somebody else remained on the upper lot. I'd rather have the geese down there. That would be, that would have been the goose that I would pick. I like the Toulouse. They're not the, the largest goose. Um, right. You know, they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're friendly, but they're not aggressive. Um, they, they'd prefer you just leave them alone. They'll leave you alone. You and know, that's how I like it. it. So, <laughs> I don't um, like high maintenance chickens. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm probably going to get chained for this, but I like a breed that is independent, that forages first. That's why I pick heritage breed. I need a breed that's going to be able to be self-reliant as we're going into this whole era of where we're at right now people i will tell you my feed store cancels all their chick orders for the year they are not opting to bring in chick as you know i live on ground zero we're in king county washington and we are dealing heavily with the ongoing spread of the COVID 19 so they opted our feed store opted just to cancel all their orders which was a big move on that part because as you know chick season is a high productive yeah. money <laughs> income so now for the other ones that are just getting into this journey real quick five breeds that are great for egg laying while being children friendly because a lot of these people who are now incorporating ch uh, chickens have never done so but we want to yeah. give them something yeah. that's specific you know if you if you look up chickens online if you just type in chicken it's going to come up with a number of breeds and those and really those kind of I, I call them the quintessential breeds are really popular because they're they're just pretty easy low maintenance they're they're good um, they're good layers and they're good family birds um, um, Buff Orpingtons, Rhode Island Reds, uh, Barred Plymouth Rocks, Light Brahmas, they're, they're super popular. They're really, the, the bigger, they call, they call those heavy breeds. Mm -hmm. So they're from, you know, typical regions where they're heavy breeds. Brown egg layers are less flighty. Yeah. White egg layers. Um, so they're, they're just easier to maintenance. They don't fly over bigger fences. They're just friendlier. Yeah. <laughs> so, I agree. I agree. Uh, you look for a heavy breed. Um, if you put in anything, you're going to get up five breeds and those are yeah. there for a reason. They're very popular. And I can, I, I will verify with that for you. Um, people look at, I think my biggest, biggest pet peeve, and I'm not going to lie to you, is my go into a feed store, whether or not it's my feed store or, you know, a, a, a local feed store in a different area because I'm there that I hear, oh yeah, these are great birds. And we're talking about leghorns. And the first thing I want to do is just bang my head on the the, the breeding, the, the cage. And I'm like, no, don't give them leghorns. This is their first time. You know, my first experience with a leghorn, the darn bird was just horrible horrific it would never go back into the coop we were chasing it around the yard because i was a brand new chicken keeper i wanted eggs if i had known that you know and then on top of it i have to click the swings because it's flighty if you're living in town and you're allowing your birds to free range in the backyard it could take flight the leghorn that's yep. how that's how lightweight they are so i yeah i agree the heavier um the heavier bigger breeds that are around egg layers are better for brand new chicken keepers. And McMurray, I think you guys, Tom, you just did a, a list of an egg chart on your website. So you can actually pull based on egg yeah, color and breed. So that'll make it a lot easier for you guys if you want to really incorporate chickens to so take a look at that egg chart and it's going to really help you guys out a lot. Once I would say if you're, if you're getting in for the first time, you know, number one, make a list of what you want. Do you want, you know, are you getting into it for eggs or are you getting into it for, you yes. know, for a canyon? You know, there's lots of that too. Do you want 
you know, a dual purpose bird, like start there and then kind of work back. Do you look for colorful eggs? Do you look for brown eggs? Do you not care what color egg, you know? I think the best advice that I would give anybody in regards to being brand new to chicken keeping is this, start slow. Don't worry about egg color yet. Don't worry about breed selection yet. Just bring in something that you can just get acquainted with and, yeah. the, you know, get a breed that's going to allow you to you know, learn how to do wellness checks. You're not going to be able to do that with a leghorn. They're too I, flighty on that. Yeah. I always so, tell people, just get an assortment. Uh, we offer a brown egg layer assortment. Start there. You're going to get, you know, five to 10 different breeds and you are going to know what you like. Right. Yeah, absolutely agree. That's a good point. So as I mentioned, I am bringing Delaware enhanced onto my property. And I, you know, I do it for two folds. I do raise Cornish crosses because they're a quick grow out for, for my yeah. property, right? A quick meet in and out. They smoke beautifully, you know, kind of thing <laughs> like that. Um, but like I said, I love the meat flavor and home raised Cornish crosses are different than what you're getting at the market. Yes, so don't yeah, get me wrong when I say that. Okay. So uh, yeah, I do, do like that. Yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, mine are on grass, you know, they get a high grain feed. So, you know, it's different. However, when you're consuming a bird like a Delaware, the meat, and I guess people like just really don't understand that the meat is different. The meat is different. Oh. It is a lot more flavorful. It is a little bit more dark in flavor. Oh. You know, I, I love that flavor of meat. Delaware and Ham, which is what drew me to you guys to begin with. Can you tell them quickly the butchering, the butchering age? the average weight and are they just as fabulous as raising a Delaware pullet or cockerel? They, they, uh, sure. we did, we took Delawares, which Delaware is a very traditional dual purpose breed. You know, it was, it's been part of a number of crosses for, for meat lines for generations. And so we took that and we did add in what we consider a broiler line to it, but we wanted to keep the type of the Delaware. So the color and the body shape. And so we really, really selected heavily for Delaware, but for a bigger size. Like I said, they're not going to grow as fast as a Cornish cross. Mm -hmm. They're probably a 14 week bird roosters, I would say, but there's no livability issues. There's, there's no leg issues. There's right. heart issues. There's their high elevation bird. You can raise them up you know, over 5,000 feet. We can't do that with Cornish cross. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Cannot do that with Cornish cross. And they have a lot of the, you know, that kind of innate hardiness that you get on, on heritage breeds. So yeah. And what, you know, there's no dark meat on, on Cornish cross. And that's, that's where your flavor is. So they're right. having a, a higher ratio of dark meat. Those thighs and legs are outstanding. I don't have an average butcher weight yet. They're, they're pretty new to us and we do we do select, you know, every year we are, we're selecting new breeders and we're selecting for bigger size and, you know, faster growth and stuff. So it is, it does change. <laughs> so I could tell you, I could tell you the average weight of a Delaware heritage breed. So when yeah, we butchered yes, our average weight of the Delaware heritage breed, um, they were coming in, just the hens were coming in about four pounds-ish. Just yeah. four pounds, just a little under four pounds, right around that point. But the meat was succulent on them. So it wasn't like where you're picking up a lightweight bird and you can feel the breast bone and whatnot. There yeah. was good breast meat and there was good thigh and quarter leg meat, basically, on that. And the cockles, the roosters, I'm sorry, a rooster at that point, it would still be a cockerel. Um, the cockles were coming in at about five, six pounds because they're big boys. They're they're big yeah, they boys, the Delawares. Yes. Um, and if you're, if you're allowing them to free range, and you know from whatnot they they are a little bit more substantial than what you keep them in in a coop for so i i 
you know, I was very excited to know about this breed, but I think, I think it's important that you let the homesteaders who are looking to raise more of that type of meat, they are, the Delaware Enhanced are a single breed, correct? They can oh, yes. mate yep. and you have an ongoing. Yep, that's, that's uh, important. <laughs> yeah, that is very important. So you guys, if you are looking to have the same type of meat of a heritage breed, dual purpose bird that butchers out at 14 weeks versus where my Delawares, a true heritage Delaware, I wasn't butchering until about 24 weeks at the earliest for them. So now I can butcher at 14 weeks and receive the same type of meat and they are sustainable. I can then keep my roosters on hand with my breeding hens and then produce them going forward for the next year. So that's important. The next thing I want to share is, um, I don't know if Tom knew this, knew this or not, but I was always afraid to order hatchery live birds because <laughs> I didn't want to open the box and find dead birds in it. <laughs> I, so the um, Apple Yard Ducks were the very, very first live hatchery orders I've ever had. And I've been homesteading going on seven years and I have never ordered because I was always afraid to open it up and the birds were going to be sick or dead in the box. You know, I still have a whole a heart on top of, you know, being able yes, to raise my own meat animals. So I was very impressed to see that they came in in beautiful soft bedding with a nice heat pad on them, with a nice heat pad to keep them warm. And they looked healthy and beautiful and thriving still. Obviously you guys take care in how you're shipping out your birds. Mm. <laughs> uh, that it, you know, I, I don't, I, I remember talking about it at the uh, Homesteaders of America, but I don't know if it was specifically with you, but you know, people are like, how can you do that? It's like, I don't, what do you mean? Like we have terrific, terrific success. Like <laughs> if this was something that I thought was detrimental to the animals, there'd be no way that I, I'd be able to stand here and, and do this or uh, like, let alone advocate all of those birds that you get from the hardware store came from hatch. <laughs> Uh, they don't the know chickens. They have no birds. We put a lot of time and resources into our breeder flocks. Good, healthy birds produce good, healthy eggs, produce good, healthy chicks. And so there's like, there's no cost spared for our, our breeders. You know, they have lots of space. They have clean water. They have full access to feed. You know, they're not in cages. Like, because that produces better chicks. And a chick develops out of the white. The yolk is pure protein. If everyone knows that you know, eggs have six grams of protein that they develop right before they hatch. So that is their food. They don't eat for, you know, the original first, two, you know, two to three days. And so that's why you're able to ship baby chicks, day old chicks. So right. One day old, they do very, very, very well. Uh, we don't have, you know, there's always, I, I won't tell people there's never not mortality. I don't want to say in every order because that's, that's not the case, but out of a hundred, we lose about four. But I think it's important that, that people know, too, that failure to thrive occurs the first week of hatching, okay? Yeah. So yeah. even though the chick may have hatched at a hatchery, there's still the failure to thrive. So, you know, it could have looked great as it was leaving a hatchery. And I think I, that's what I had to really put my mind to. It, it could have looked great leaving a hatchery, but failure to thrive could occur within those seven days. So it's not necessarily the shipping, right, yeah. Yeah. that's causing uh, the issue. So... Like I tell people, we have the same 4% loss if I take the birds directly to my building, to my barn, which is 15 minutes from here, mm -hmm. that I do and I get spent two days, you know, in the mail. It sounds rough. It's really not. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. We try to do everything to give them the comforting ride, the most consistent temperature. We have specially designed boxes. That's part of the minimum to ship. You know, shipping less is harder on birds than ship, you know, shipping more. That's part of our minimums. Like why we ship, we have 25 minimum during our colder months because that's what's required to ship them safely and successfully. We do have fewer minimums 
when it warms up because they can ship safer um, then so everything good. we do is geared toward a successful trip <laughs> so. so my next question for you now because i i have geese coming in for the first time for the first time ever can you talk a little bit about selecting do you feel it's important to select a breed that's based on the size of your homestead? Because I get this a lot. They're like, you know, why are you raising just blue slates versus the big <laughs> palm turkeys? You know, tons are, uh, palm, royal palms are a big turkey breed. And I have two acres in the woods, so I don't want a big turkey breed, number one. Number two, I don't want to be eaten out of the house and home. <laughs> so do you think selecting a breed which is specific to the property size that they're being kept on is important? Yeah, absolutely. In the standard of perfection, they list out one of the categories is how well they do in confinement. And that doesn't mean like in a cage, but that does mean in limited spaces. If you need to have chicken breeds, but you're not able to let them free range all day, you know, they're going to be in a coop. You do need smaller bird. Don't put buff cochins in, right. in space that you're going to put a white leghorn or a brown leghorn. Like those were completely different birds with different requirements. Access your, what do you have for a coop? Are you willing to build a bigger coop? You know, you can get more of this type, but less of this type. How much space do they have outside? You know, obviously in the coop, you're, you're talking two to three square feet per bird. If they have available access outside, you're looking at 10 square feet per bird to be outside in a run. If they have a yard, like we have a right. yard, we live in town, but we have to be careful because you know, the neighbors don't really care for the chickens. They don't, they love that we give them eggs. They're happy to look at them. They don't want them in their yard. Right. I, and I don't blame right. them. We have to be concerned about keeping them in, in the space that we have. Yeah. If you get a Royal Palm Turkey and it's 45 pounds, like. <laughs> you need the room for them, right? You need yeah. the room for them. Yeah. Okay. You, yeah. You that versus, you know, yeah. Blue Slate's 23 pounds, I think. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's good. So please make sure that before you bring breeds in, you know how much space they're going to take on your property when you do so. So hatching eggs, talk to me about hatching eggs. I received uh, two types of hatching eggs from you, Americanas and Whiting True Blues. Mm -hmm. Do you guys sell, which I've never raised blue egg layers before, by the way, this is my first. Um, do you guys sell a lot of hatching eggs? And then on top of that, I, I was really impressed on how they were received at my property. They were like packaged immensely well in this stuff. What is that stuff that you package them in? Uh, it's vermiculite. It's just shredded paper, basically. <laughs> so. I never even would have guessed. I would never uh, guess. So yeah, we take a lot of care. We ship out, not obviously not near as many chicks as we, we do chicks as eggs. Part of what we do is we have a lot of breeds and we call those, you know, rare and exotic. They're rare and exotic for a reason. Either they have um, low hatchability, you know, or they have struggled to survive in the shell and incubation, or they just don't mate well. You know, we have a lot of breeds that we might hatch 20%. So when you sell eggs and they get, and they only get 20% hatching, you know, one out of two out of 10 hatch, like they're super disappointed. It's like, why well, you did exactly the same thing that we did. And they don't, it's like, that's really hard. Like, we have, we have, obviously we have breeds that do better. You know, you're, you're kind of your, your Rhode Island Reds, they're going to hatch somewhere around 70%, but that all depends on the maturity of your hen, um, the maturity of your roosters, the time of the year, if there's weather changes, if weather spikes and differences, it changes the fertility rate or the, the hatchability rate of birds. It's all things that we take into account. And we have in our hatchers, we, in incubators, we, we were calibrating thermometers every other day through the whole machine like we're, we take very yeah. care in order to do that and so it's harder to hatch at home the success is 
changes a lot too. And we don't know how the eggs are handled. I don't care for hatching eggs. <laughs> um, but, you know, I understand that, that, and that's a, it's such a great educational opportunity for, you know, for kids or for teachers or anything, like, especially right now, people have nothing to, you know, they're all at home and they're like, oh, I need to teach my kids something. Teach them right. about, you know, where your food comes from. Raise, get some eggs, raise some chickens, like, teach them about life cycle. Like, you can look at all this stuff. So, from the educational purposes, I really, really enjoy it. If you just wanted to do that instead of just getting the chick, I, I would rather you just get the chick. That's my two cents. <laughs> this is our question. What, outside of chicken, yeah. What would you say that uh, a homesteader should raise if their property allows it? <laughs> Outside of chickens, one th you know, one thing that I know is that people who raise chickens also garden, but people who garden don't always raise chickens. I know that the highest percentage of people are raising a garden, and I would say, in in order to make chicken keeping easier, try to raise some food for them that's going to make chickens a lot cheaper. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Anything. Um, you know, if you want to talk about different breeds, you know, you know, ducks or geese or turkeys, like I've, I've raised all of those things at home. And I think they complement chickens extremely well. Um, they each do things a little bit differently. They have different personalities. Turkeys are going to roost in your trees or your yes. neighbor's trees. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, ducks have different personalities and geese are Guard geese are a popular thing right now. Um, yeah, they are. They're for a reason because they're yeah. very good at watching out for things. And they're so much bigger, you know, than a chicken. I would add, I would say, okay, so this is what I would say. And this is based on experience because I live in Washington state where it rains nine months out of the year. I brought in, I would, you know, let me backtrack. I will raise ducks before I will raise chickens. I said it there. I said it. Number I one, the meat, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the meat, the, <laughs> the egg production, the meat production, and the fact that they consume slugs. Like you have no other slugs and flies. I, those are the hardest working animals that I have on my property are ducks. I really Not like even it. is ducks. They consume the slugs in my garden. They consume the flies that are out in their free range or in their holding pen area or in their yeah. coop. They work hard. And I'm going to tell you, they are less work than chickens for me. So I'm going to throw in their ducks. If you have a slug issue in your garden, like you do in the Pacific Northwest, you need to get some ducks. You don't need a lot of ducks, but you need to get yeah. some ducks. I'll, pl I'll plug ducks a little bit because I like, I like the ducks because chickens scratch the dirt and they will destroy any grass that you have. Um, and you will, your garden. You'll never have, because they will go right down to the root and eat that whole root yep. plant. And ducks won't. They like the fresh greens, but they just eat the tops. So you're yep. in, but they're wetter. So if they're going to still trample the ground, but they're going to be have patches of grass. <laughs> so yeah. It's I greener with ducks. It I still love my ducks. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about McMurray Hatchery and the season that you're having right now and the fear that most people are not able to get birds anymore. Let's talk about that just real quick. Okay. So where do you guys stand right now? You are obviously slammed. It's your season, and then let's just put it on speed right now, right? So yeah. It's like hatching season on speed, basically, is where you're at. So you have, you're filling your existing orders that you have. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah but are we're you slammed? <laughs> We're, we are very, very busy, um, which I absolutely love. <laughs> but, you know, people are like, oh, you can't get birds, you can't get birds. No, feed stores got birds. And I said, feed stores never had birds. 
they own they own zero breeder flocks. They own they buy their birds from other people. Right. And what happened is that they cut out the middleman. People are you know we 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 don't supply the the true values or you know the big feed charts. We do supply mom and pop stores who are still able to get their birds and their orders just like they normally would. It's it's just shift to to the direct to we've always shipped directly to our customers that's the way we like to do it it's you know it's better to educate people if you can talk to them hmm. you know it's if you have an issue i want you to call me i want to be able to talk about it especially for for new new people if you're just getting into it and you went to the feed store and then oh something went wrong and you go back to the feed store it's a different person and they may know something about chickens because they've you know, they worked at the feed store, but I know something about chickens because I have parents. Like right. I have all of the chickens. Like there are birds. We, it's a closed flock. So the, the same birds that I'm hatching to give to you are the same birds that go right back to our buildings that we raise again for next year. There's we, we, yeah, we're sold out for about four weeks. You know, it's March 31st. So we're pretty much sold out through April, but we've got birds available in May. We've got birds available in June. We hatch all the way through October. There are birds. There are just no birds tomorrow. So basically, if anybody wants to go through your website right now, they cannot expect an instant ship. They're going to have to really plan and prepare properly for whenever you are available again, correct? Yeah. Okay. But there, yeah. but you have eggs because I keep hearing the rumor of McMurray doesn't have eggs anymore. I'm like, that's not possible. They are a hatchery. They have the parent flocks there. <laughs> what do you mean? So yeah. I have to go back and ask them to clarify that they want it now. They want that's it now. That's the problem, and, right? We're and, in a now society, yeah. right? But well, and that, that is, you know, and, and, that's, and that's probably the biggest learning thing. And, and if you've never ordered chicks online, if you've never had chicks delivered, you get to pick your delivery time. If you, I tell people, you need to order now for, well, you should have ordered three weeks ago for what right. you want now. Absolutely. Um, you can order in January for the end of October. Don't wait until you need it to get it. Good like, advice. Good advice. Um, we count our chickens before they hatch. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, so, and so that's, and, and that makes it easier for people. So you can go online and there's a available now page, but you can also select any date on that, any week, and you can see what's currently available. And there's tons of stuff available. It will sell out. We will sell them. It'll just won't be tomorrow. So, okay, so let's, let's just recap real quick, because I know that a lot of them are really trying to get chickens now. Everybody's coming over to websites like myself and, um, yeah. and you know, trying to hit up their feed store and whatnot. So let's just recap real quick. You can still get chick from McMurray Hatchery. Yeah. However, you cannot more than likely get them instantly. You're going yeah. to have to take a look at what the availability list is and then order it based on that. Now let's recap yep. again. Your catalog comes out when, Tom? I've got it done into the printers mid-October. So it actually starts hitting people's homes. We, we time it to be just after Christmas. So between Christmas and New Year's. <gasps> Merry Christmas. There's your yeah. present. <laughs> there you go. Get more chickens. Yep, we um, put out an annual catalog and it's just a list of chicken breeds. But it's really cool. It's, awesome. it's an awesome catalog. Oh, it's a beautiful catalog. I, I actually have the catalog and it is beautiful. And it is like when you're, you know, when you were six years old and catalogs were still a big thing and, <laughs> and you were circling all those toys on there, it's worth with chicken keeping. It really is. So they can start ordering chicks um, as early as January then? Technically, November 1st. Um, okay. You can, like the 1st of November, we've got everything set for, for January. We do kind of keep tighter lid on, on what we, we call our numbers, um, you know, our projected eggs. Because, you know, at that point, we're, we're just raising up 
chicks just like everybody else. So, right. so yeah, you can in November. And if you if you're looking for very very specific breeds or very rare breeds, lavender Orpingtons, you know, black copper Morans, oh, uh, red lion dots, order early. Right. <laughs> if you have never seen a lavender Orpington, I'm going to tell you. I raised them for a short period before the coyotes took off with them, and they are the most beautiful Orpingtons. Orpingtons are as a whole just gorgeous breeds, but the lavenders, oh my goodness! If you, <laughs> they're pretty. They're really pretty. So what is on the calendar next? I know that I will be seeing you at HOA yeah. in October, well, right? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll be seeing you at Homesteaders of America in October. Yes. Um, but I also heard rumor that you will be at Polyface Farms in July as well too. Is that true? Yep. Um, yes. So I'm really, really excited about that one. I've met Joel Salatin <laughs> before and Daniel Salatin. There's an inspiration. You know, we worked mm -hmm. with him, you know, early on too um but still like they really if you want to talk about living intentionally they, they've got it right oh gosh, so yes. yeah absolutely so oh, yeah. i will if if a polyface still you know with the blessings of what's happening if polyface is still able to hold on to their conference this july i will be seeing you at polyface in july yeah so really i can see you twice that. this year yay uh, um, and yeah there's a couple yeah. other things that we were doing um i don't you know everything's up in the air so right absolutely up in the air all right so let's recap real quick you guys um mcmurray hatchery a family-owned business for 103 years carrying breeds that are not only just you know broiler breeds or just disposable breeds but true breeds that will actually last in your flocks for years and years and years to come um looking into heritage breeds you guys visit the livestock conservancy list and you get to learn a little bit more about them as well too but I will tell you that the team that is there that's answering calls at McMurray Hatchery are just as knowledgeable as Tom here or any homesteader that's actually raising up. So if you have any questions, go ahead and give them a call. They can answer all your questions that you want. And then if you don't have a catalog, can they still get a catalog from you, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yep. there you go. Catalogs are still available. I cannot emphasize enough of just, you know, find a business, a, you know, it's a small, Thomas, it's a small business. It's not like yeah. this, they do a lot <laughs> in a small business. I will tell you, I mean, if you go through the history of McMurray Hatchery and actually look into it, it is a still handful of employees managing this huge company. So give them, give them some grace and go and take a look at them and visiting with them. And I'm excited to have on my property from McMurray this year of Delaware Enhanced the Appyard Ducklings, the Saluskis, as well as the um, blue layers, which are the white and true blues and the Americanas. Yeah. So I will get to show you guys everything that's happening here. And again, thank you. Thanks for being here, Tom. Right. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you're my right. first guest on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're wow. my first guest. Um, so I know you, you broke it through. So this is awesome. Okay, you guys, this is what we have. This um, whole transcript, um, the transcript will not be moved over, but a blog post will be created on this with additional information on McMurray and why I chose to partner with them for the 2020 year and, um, you know, just how amazing, uh, truly, truly amazing history behind them. I look forward to seeing them possibly in July and October again this year. Thanks for being here and listening today. Don't forget to hit the subscribe and notification bell to stay tuned for all of our podcasts, which release each week. But in the meantime, go ahead and visit our website at afarmgirlinthemaking.com and Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as well. All right, you guys, we'll talk to you next week.